What's up, everybody? It's Dom here. Um, back for episode seven of Dreadful Talk. Um, rocking, rocking the shades today. You know, I had to give my eyes a rest. I'm bad about that, man. I'll be leaving them contacts in forever. I doctor got onto me about it. I'm trying to be better about that shit. Um, but today has kind of an interesting topic, and that topic is me, yours truly. I know everybody watching probably like this and narcissistic bastard doing an episode about himself. But no, there's a few reasons why I'm doing this. Um, One reason is that, you know, like a lot of other people that start podcasts, you know, they're already well known for other things before they start their podcast. Um, You know, whether it be fighting, stand-up comedy, um, acting, sports, athletics, what have you. traditional television media to traditional radio like usually so I don't know it's kind of I don't want to say unique that I'm you know doing this but I just kind of want to let you know you know who the hell I am why like kind of just give you some context to the things I say um you know to those of you out there that know me or think you know me you know I'm sure you'll learn a thing a new thing or two and then to those of you out there that don't personally know me just know me through social media or the podcast, you know, and maybe give you a little more insights of just, you know, how I came up. I'm a strong believer in, um, in, um, nurture over nature. Like I really, in a lot of aspects of life, um, like I believe that we're in a lot of ways we're products of our environment. And so like, I feel like if I talk about my environment, it'll give you an understanding of just, like, who I am, and, like, like I said, like, I guess the major reason is, like, context, like, if I explain thoroughly who I am, and what I'm coming from, and, like, what made me who I am, and just who the hell I am, and maybe why you should care what I think, or what I say, you know, I feel like this would be, like, a good baseline, you know, starting, not that it's my first episode, but, you know, it's picking up steam, and, you know, shout out to y'all for that, you know, shout out, really, every like, every share, every subscribe, man, I just means the world to me, so, yeah, it's picking up steam, and so, you know, I know there's gonna be people that, you know, catch on late, or, like I said, that don't know me personally, that just find out about me, so this will just let you know a little bit who Dom is, what I'm about, where I come from. And so, I was actually born right where I'm at today, essentially, San Jose, California. Um, San Jose is in, like on the, it's what's called the South Bay, or like the South Bay area. Um, So, the Bay Area has like the peninsula on one side, and then the water comes down like this. And then everything over here is like Oakland and the East Bay. This is the peninsula, the tip would be San Francisco. San Jose is down here, what's called the South Bay and the Santa Clara Valley, also known as Silicon Valley. Um, you know, a lot of the tech businesses, tech companies are out here. Um, that's like the major driver of the economy here. Um, one of the reasons it's so nice here. So, um, I mean, the tech companies are very polarizing whenever you talk to, you know, locals. You know, a lot of people hate, the, you know, the gentrification that it brought. Um, but just coming from somewhere that doesn't really have that much of an economy just you can just look around this city until that business is booming and it makes it a pleasant place to be and that business is tech so like like all things in life i'm real big on like yin and yang there's positive come with the negative 
I don't really think much is 100% good or 100% bad. Like, there usually comes some mixture of both. So I like to, like, you know, approach life with, like, looking at that duality of those things. Um, but, yeah, born here in San Jose, California. Um, that's why, I actually, I just actually recorded a song. Actually, I make music, too. I rap. Um, I recorded a song called Red Dirt, but, like, the chorus is Red Dirt to the Golden State. And like, I really, and like before that song, I have this little, this little, like, you know, people talk before the actual beat drops. I'm like, you know, I moved from my hometown to my hometown. And I really feel that way. Like, you know, some people may not think that makes sense or whatever, but like, I was born here in San Jose. Um, I actually moved back to Oklahoma really young. But then I've been back in San Jose for the past going on four years. Um, so, like, I don't know. I really um, do feel like, um, you know, both of these are my hometowns. Um, I even have this tattoo. It says uh, 408 born, 405 raised. And it has Oklahoma and Cali. Um, so, like, that's just been, like, a real big theme of like that's a big part of understanding who I am is understanding those two environments and they are vastly different environments and maybe that's why I'm so good at understanding duality and seeing both sides to situations Um, because like I said my roots my family my on one hand San Jose and on the other hand Norman Oklahoma I love Norman Oklahoma don't ever think the things I'm saying are talking down on Oklahoma I'm talking of my experiences and the unique struggles that a place like Oklahoma presents. Because everywhere presents struggles. Inner cities, big cities, coastal states, southern states, like midwestern states. Everybody has their own struggles. So, like, don't ever think that I'm just, like, shitting on Oklahoma. I just don't think that the story of, like, the struggles of somebody in Oklahoma or somebody of color from Oklahoma has been accurately, you know, represented to to the masses. And so... I love I love Oklahoma. I, I made me some fried catfish the other night. I know some of y'all seen that on my story. I love me at Oklahoma. I'm still big OU Sooners fan, big Thunder fan. Like I love Oklahoma. Don't ever think that I'm like ragging on Oklahoma. There's just vast differences from where I'm at and where I come from. And you know, each place provides their own unique struggles. Um and like I said, I feel like the story of gentrification's been told, the story of like urban inner cities been told. Um, you know, East Coast, West Coast has been told. I don't necessarily know if the story of a, you know, person of color from a place like Norman has really been told. I mean, maybe it has, maybe it hasn't, but I'm here to tell my version, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, and it, important to note in this story. One second, got to stay hydrated, y'all. I also want to say... If you ever want to, like, feel higher than you actually are, take a nice big dab and then immediately switch from your contacts to your glasses. I feel like I'm, like, in a fishbowl. Like, I feel like on that 70s show when they're, like, trying to, like, show what it looks like to be high, I feel like that's how I feel right now. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Anyway, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good. It just... It, but change, I'm not fully used to glasses again yet. I went years without wearing them. So just, yeah, I don't know. That was a unique little funny story that happened. Um... But yeah, so I was born, this is important to note, my birth certificate says Matt Garrett, 
and Vinny Rossetti. Um, Matt Garrett is a white man. Vinny Rossetti is, she's Mexican and Italian, but like her skin is essentially white. Like if you saw her just describing her, didn't know her stranger, you'd probably describe her as white. Probably you wouldn't describe her that way once she opens her mouth. Anybody that knows Vinny will know what I'm talking about. But shout out Mama Vin, love you. Um, and so, yeah, just like I said, I'll come back to that. It's important to know I was born to Matt Garrett and Vinny Rossetti here in San Jose. Then, in like 1997, I was born in 1994. I just turned 26 the other day on June 18th. Um, shout out June Babies. I don't do all that whole sign shit, but, you know, shout out June Babies, whatever the hell that means. I think they be hating on us, but I think that's why I don't pay attention to that noise. But, uh... But yeah, I was like three years old, moved to Winniewood, Oklahoma. And if that town sounds familiar to you, and you're asking yourself, why the hell do I recognize Winniewood, Oklahoma? Yes, that is the town from Tiger King. Um, I've actually been, yes, I've been to GW Exotic Park long fucking 10, 15, 20 years before that shit came out. Um, no, I don't remember meeting Joe Exotic. Although it's like one of those things I'm sure I did. Like I had to, right? Because I went to that place more than once. Like I had to meet that crazy fucker. I just don't remember every fucking weekend zoo trip from my elementary school days. But yeah, I have been there. Yeah, that is the town from Tiger King. So yeah, talking to a true Oklahoman. Don't tell me shit about being an Oklahoma until you lived in Winniewood, Oklahoma, motherfuckers. Man, I know all of, that's a struggle, man. I guess I'll kind of talk about Winniewood for a second. It's a weird fucking place, man. Um, I mean, when I lived there, the population on the sign said 2,000. Everybody would always crack the joke that they didn't know where that many people were hiding at. Um, very small town, like in like southern Oklahoma. It's like an hour south of Oklahoma City if you head south on I-35. Um, probably like 45 minutes south of Norman. Um in the boonies, um, it's a country little town, and I don't know, people that still live there probably won't like me saying this, maybe controversial, I mean, the town's essentially segregated, I mean, at least it was when I was there, this was in the late 90s when I was really spending time there, very early 2000s, uh, essentially segregated, I'm not saying like Jim Crow segregated, but I'm saying essentially all the black folks stayed in one neighborhood, which isn't uncommon, like cities like Chicago are like that too, so I mean, no, once again, not here to shit on anybody, just telling my experience, you know, um, essentially kind of a segregated town, um, did, but a unique thing about that town compared to most other small southern Oklahoma towns, uh, there's a lot of black people there, um, it's just kind of it's two separate worlds. There's almost like white Winniewood and black Winniewood. But it's like that in a lot of cities. I mean, it's like that. I said Chicago's a great example. So I'm not shitting on small towns or shitting on Winniewood. Um, there's like a refinery there. Literally the only fast food place in town, at least back then, there was a Sonic. Shout out Sonic. I miss y'all. Apparently there's one in Gilroy or something. I haven't made my way out there yet. I do miss them. Chili dogs, yeah, call me gross for eating hot dogs with chili dogs, whatever. I would kill for a Sonic footlong chili dog right now. Not even going to say no homo. <laughs> that sounds bomb. I'd smash that shit. But, yeah, so I moved to Winniewood, Oklahoma, age 3, 1997. Um, 
Started playing t-ball at four, man, and I was a little slugger. I was good. But that's only important to note. Nobody cares about my t-ball career, but that's just to say sports were a part of my life from age four to age, like, 21. So, like, the, like that was a huge part of my journey whenever I stopped playing sports. When I quit playing football, was just like, whoa, what the fuck do I do with my life? Because since age four, that was like my main goal in life was just be good at sports, have be good at sports, you know, have fun playing sports. But to me, you had fun by winning and performing well. Um, a very competitive guy, still in, that ain't left me. Still competitive, hate losing. I'm one of those hate to lose more than I love to win, shout out Wale type of guys. Um, uh, but yeah, so I very competitive. I mean, I played sports, and like, let me tell you, man, I didn't play like modern day. Like, even though I am a millennial, I didn't play modern day millennial like youth sports. Like, I was living in small Oklahoma towns, man. That shit was serious, like really serious, like competitive. Like, like you would think that shit was like, I don't know, man. Like. This wasn't no orange slice, no type of t-ball. I was playing country t-ball, man. Like, we, that shit was funny. Looking back on it, it seems like some shit really that should have, like, its own, like, little sketch comedy show. Like, like some fucking, I don't know, like, it, it King of the Hill meets Workaholics meets Chappelle show type of mashup. Like, it's just, like, ridiculous the type of shit that would go down at these just coach pitch and... Like, like people's grandpas wanting to fight the refs. Hell, I think my grandpa wanted to fight one of the refs at one of my games. Like, ratchet shit went down. Just but so like these new, these new school little little leagues, man. Like it's probably for the better. I'm not one of those guys that wishes like the torture we went through on the younger generation. But man, that's my old man walk uphill in the snow both ways type of story, man. Them, them fucking. Old school, late 90s, country, little leagues, man. It was different, man. If you went through it, man, I know you a better man for it. We strong. We out here. That motivated. But seriously, like, I'm half joking and half not, man. Like, I've always been a competitive person, and I had to, like, learn that there. Um, I, you know, learned, you know, just sports is a good way just to navigate this world, at least for a young man. And when, I feel like when you get older, it starts to, like, kind of box you in and limit you in certain aspects of your growth and your journey. Uh, maybe that's a debate for another podcast. But uh, well, as a very young man, I think it has a lot of positive traits. Like, I have worked with people and just met people that never played sports. And I'm not saying it has to be sports. Like, it has to be something, though. Like, them kids that didn't do fucking no type of activities, man, um, be mad if you want to, man. A lot of y'all useless as Fuck, man, I've worked with y'all, I've met y'all, shit, like, make your kid do something, it don't have to be football, I don't care if it's painting, art, singing, something, but don't just let your kids be out there just not doing shit, like, cause that shit, I've, like, that shit will mold their character the wrong way, I know I learned a lot from sports, um, but yeah, my first love was baseball. I know everybody knows me as a football guy. Um, once again, got football tattoos. Love football. It's my number one favorite sport now. But started baseball was my first love, and I've actually refill in love with baseball since moving to the Bay Area. Um, one second. Yeah. 
And that's where having a guest, you know, is smooth. You can just slide them little water breaks in there like a fucking little jab. Just slide it in there. But ain't nothing saving y'all from this. But so next important thing to know about just like, and this work formed a lot of my views on religion, on school, on a lot of shit. I never, I didn't start off in public school. I started off at a private Baptist school in Purcell, Oklahoma, which is another little small town, bigger than Winnie Wood, smaller than Norman, quite a bit smaller than Norman, but quite a bit bigger than Winnie Wood. Um, and I went to a small private Baptist school there. And in, it's kind of, I ask myself this, and you may be asking, like, any, especially anybody that knows my mom, like, why the hell did they send him to a private Baptist school? Like, my family's not Baptist. My family's not even really religious, um, you know. Um, so, but my, like, and that's a bigger picture. Like, Oklahoma has some of, like, the worst public schools in the nation, um, like, like literally ranked in like the mid to late forties out of 50, like literally some of the worst public schools in the nation. I can tell you some horror stories about my public school experience. And I went to one of the good schools. So I can't imagine what some of these other schools are like. Um, but so my mom knew that my mom knew that Oklahoma didn't have good schools. So she thought, that, you know, this would give me a better education and, you know, a better shot at life ultimately, which in a lot of ways it did. Um, I learned a lot really fast. I was also indoctrinated um, with, like, evangelical Protestant beliefs, but I did get a pretty damn good education, weirdly enough, because the teachers didn't even have to have degrees or nothing. It was literally just like church moms. Like, I don't even think that shit would be legal now. Like, I don't even know if it was legal then. Like, I guess it was. But, yeah, just like a church school. Like, it was literally the school was at a church. And, like, they wasn't real teachers. But I did somehow learn more than public schools. Like, I ended, I didn't go to public school till third grade, and I had already learned all that, like, for years and years. Like, I learned how to read faster. Like, we, we're writing cursive in pre-K. Like, I could, like, read, like, good by, like, kindergarten, pre-K. So, it's like, it did have its advantages and its disadvantages. Like, academically, I was always real good in school, and I probably got to trace it back to that. But at the same time, man, that shit, I had to unlearn a lot of shit culturally and socially that I learned at that weird-ass little church school in Purcell, Oklahoma. So I went there from pre-K to second grade. So, like, my real formative years were spent there. Um, But, yeah, so that's that story. Um so in like first grade is when my mom, like when Vinny and Matt split and me and my mom moved to Purcell, Oklahoma, that same, because that's where my school was, I imagine. Uh, and it was like a slightly bigger town, like I said, and it wasn't super far away from my dad. Like my mom wasn't trying to like, you know, take me from him or nothing like that. We just had to move around and um, like... I written like I guess maybe it's because I was real young, I was six, but I was a smart six year old. I knew what was going on. Um, 
I remember not being sad. Like, I know some kids get, like, fucked up emotionally when their parents split up. I was tired of listening to their asses argue, quite frankly. Like, I've always, like, been real like that. Like, I was, like, honestly tired of listening to that shit. So, hey, you know, I was like, whatever, we're going to make this move. Um, I wasn't too bothered by it, especially because I wasn't changing schools or nothing. Um, so, in this neighborhood we moved into was a shitty neighborhood. It was kind of like my first introduction to, like, the hood. Because, like, in Winniewood, I lived in, like, essentially the country. Like, it was outside city limits. Like, we pretty much didn't have a neighborhood. We had, like, a long driveway, all that, like a country house. So this is my first time living in any neighborhood, and it was a shitty neighborhood. So, like, that was my introduction to, like, living in a shitty neighborhood with a single mom in America. Very different. It was. It was very different. The neighborhood. And when I say shitty, what do you mean by shitty? Like, like a lot of people out there, if you've never lived in a small town, you may not even think that small towns have hoods. Like, that may sound like an oxymoron, like a contradiction, but they do. Um, and that's kind of what I meant by what I wanted to tell my story and what I meant by saying it's like an undertold story. Like, I feel like to most people, that word sounds like a contradiction. Small town, hood. How do those things like blend? Well, let me tell you how it blends. It blends. What do what do all what are, what are the things that make the hood bad? Um, they have, um, you know, a lot of single parent households. They have a lot of drug abuse and drug sales. They have a lot of crime, domestic violence. They have, you know, malnourished children. Um, gangs, which I'll say in Purcell, the gangs wasn't really a thing. Um, but everything else on that checklist, that neighborhood met. There was a fuck ton of crystal meth in that neighborhood. A lot of these kids' parents and shit was doing it. Um, just Other just like visually ghetto shit, like every yard had a fucking pit bull chain to it that was vicious as fuck. Not these sweet pit bulls that still have their ears. Like, nah, these was hood pit bulls that will fuck your ass up if they got off that chain. I used to have to walk my dog was my after my one of my after school chores walk my dog around the block and I had to carry like this like staff to like beat off the not beat off ha 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 twelve year old kid joke um anyway like fend away these like fucking just hood ass dogs that would get off their chains it was like a moment of truth you would hear them woo 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 woo. And then you would hear that train drag, 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 drag. And there would be the moment of truth where either that chain was going to snap or that fucking dog would get yanked back real hard. And, like, I remember that distinctly. Like, I, like that was my, like, man, talking about get your heart racing. Like, most of the time, that shit would yank back. But every once in a while, man, that shit would just not yank it on. That shit would snap and we have to run. Or This one time... I had this long-haired, shaggy dog. Anybody that remembers Rocky from the OG house, man, you know what I'm talking about. Rocky, believe it or not, not the most least threatening, least scary dog ever. Long-haired, shaggy, medium-sized dog. This dog, that exact story I just told happened, and this dog came, and my little dog killed that fucking dog, man, right there in the middle of the street, protecting me. That's a real story. Fucking my dog ripped that dog's throat out. I know, oh, you don't want to hear that, but that shit was life and death, and my dog saved me, so fuck that other dog, man, that shit was really trying to kill me, but yeah, man, so that was just like my, like I said, man, 
like I said, I wasn't necessarily tripping when my parents split up, but it didn't take me long to realize that this was like a new world I was living in, you know, just bad neighborhood, um, different town, you know, single mom, all that. Um, so yeah, I just kind of like, like that small town slash, you could even say rural poverty, rural struggle, small town struggle. That's like an undertold story that I feel like a lot of people out there can relate to. Like Dave Chappelle kind of touched on it a little bit. Like when you, like the brokest kid at a rich school, like it's a different type of struggle. Like, like I said, we've all heard the inner city typical struggle. We've all heard, you know, I just don't feel like the small town rural struggle is a story that's been told enough and just pop culture, really, I guess, just any at all. So that's why I'm kind of just wanting to tell a little bit about it. And like, like I said, just provide context and context and other takes that I have in the future and probably I've already had. Um, so in sixth grade is when I moved to my other hometown, Norman, Oklahoma. It's like I don't consider Winniewood or Purcell my hometowns at all, at all. Like, um, I do consider Norman a hometown, uh, Norman, Oklahoma. So Norman, Oklahoma is a little, is a decent sized place. It's, I mean, it has like 120,000, I think maybe 140,000 when the students are there. People, um, it's a college town. It's where the University of Oklahoma is, like Boomer Sooner, like the OU Sooners. Um, so, you know, just overall a way better environment, definitely, um, just more positive, more educated populace, um, you know, better neighborhoods, um, in some ways you could say less drugs, that, um, or at least just I wasn't living at the place where there was drugs at no more, um, probably a better way to put it, um, you know, so just a better environment, you know, just bigger town, better schools, um, all that stuff. Um, so I want to tell the story how I met essentially like my lifelong friends. Um, so, you know, if anybody out there that plays football, you know, like usually your first couple football tryouts or walkthroughs or whatever, like a couple weeks before school starts. Um, and so we had enrolled in Norman football because we knew we were going to be moving to Norman. And um, my mom had bought a, a hair salon in Norman. Um, so that's why we ended up moving there. And um, so I, I, had, I was, and I was playing fullback. So it was like me and then the other running backs, or the running back was Tez. And then the other fullback I was competing with was Wesley. And then, um, so I knew them from football practice. So then, like the but so like but mind you, and like so Tez is a black man, Wes is a Hispanic fella, and uh, but mind you, up to this point, man, like I really had no, I don't want to say no intro to black culture, but a I didn't know I was black yet, and b, like I knew like my mom would play Bob Marley, shout out Bob behind me, like uh, James Brown, like older like that type not really any rap or hip-hop but she would play black music a lot of black music louis armstrong charlie parker like great black music some of the best black music that's ever been made but not necessarily some shit that a bunch of sixth grade young black kids are gonna you know relate to Jimi hendrix so 
And like, so like I was, I, I, and I think I was actually wearing a Jimi Hendrix shirt, just dressed, let's just say to the very least, not dressed like anybody else at the lunch table that I was approaching. I think I was wearing some skateboard shoes, like some big ones, like some fat, like audios or some shit. And uh, I went to sit down at the lunch table and like half of the lunch and essentially like 90% black at the lunch table I sat at. But I, I sat there because I recognized my teammates, like the dudes I blocked for. I was like, I might as well, I'm a fullback. I might as well get good friends with my running back friends. Um, and like, and quite frankly, I just like, I, in, in, in Purcell, I had like gotten in a lot of fights with like essentially upper middle class and rich white kids. One of them all, by the way. Shout out my elementary undefeated rep. Um, just kidding, totally. Um, but seriously, uh, beat up a lot of like upper middle class rich white kids. You know, they try to clown on me for my clothes. You know, I want to be up to date or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Just, you know, kids are assholes. Kids are vicious. It probably wasn't even personal. Probably assholes to everybody. But, you know, I had to give a couple of them the hands. And so like, I was kind of like wary of like upper middle class white people. And if you know anything about Norman, Oklahoma, there's a fuck ton of upper middle class white people. Like that's kind of like the main like demographic that describes Norman, Oklahoma. And so like, uh, so I, I look around the cafeteria, you know, like typical straight out of like a teen movie, like first day at the new school, don't know where to sit, super awkward, new kid, new town. And I, see, I look over and I see a couple of my running back friends, some guys I recognize from the football team. Definitely don't want to sit with any of these rich white kids. And so I was like, all right, bet. Like, that's where I'm going to go sit. Like I said, I'm dressed nothing like these kids. I really, I'm kind of caught in a situation where I really don't relate to either side, to be quite frank, right at the beginning. And uh, I sat down and I want to say, and, and, and I say this because we're friends now and I got much love for the dude. And it's a hilarious story. So I'm not like saying this from like a bitter place. But I think I sit down and the homie DeAndre, I won't even say his last name. My homie DeAndre, if you're from Norman, you know who DeAndre is. And my homie DeAndre looked over and was like, who is this nigga? Because like I said, I was wearing like some fat audio shoes, like a Jimi Hendrix shirt. Just not, maybe even a Green Day shirt, maybe something like that. And um, and he was like, "Who is this nigga?" And then I think, you know, I forget exactly who it was. Maybe Tez, maybe Rico. Somebody was like, "Oh, he on the football team." And um, and and a lot of those people I describe, I'm friends with to this day. My boy Tez, uh, shout out Rico, Tez, um, Wesley, man, the Owens brothers, man. Shout out, I love y'all boys, always will. But that's like, I, that memory stands out to me. That memory is like essentially like a key and pill skit just in and of its own. Like, oh man, that's funny time. But yeah, and them boys taught me a lot, man. I love I loved those boys. I love those men. They're obviously grown men now. We're in the same grade, same age, so. Uh. But yeah, so like I said, so like that, that, um, really introduced me to like a when I moved to Norman you know what I'm saying I got really introduced to like modern black culture for the first time via the friend group that I just talked about 
And then, which was, you know, a game changer. I loved it. You know, I'd go to the skating rink and learn, listen to all, like, the new hip-hop songs that, like, I hadn't even heard before. It was, like, right when, like, peak mixtape Wayne was coming out. So I still biggest Lil Wayne fan. That was some of the, how I fell in love with hip-hop was just that early mixtape Wayne. I was, like, right in, like, the meat of it, the grind of it. Loved, like, all, I was hearing all that shit, that early young Jeezy, that early, like, that... Not early T.I., like, you know, T.I. King album and shit, like that era, man. That was, like, a good time to be introduced to all that. There was some bangers. So, like, they all, man, they were just showing me all this shit. And then, you know, it was really my first time being introduced to girls, too. Partly because of just our age. Like, I feel like everybody's really, like, introduced to girls at age 11, 12 more than they were in elementary school. That That part's normal, but just, like, you know... I ain't gonna lie, Norman had better looking girls than the town that that I've been from. So like it was just a cool ass time and a cool ass place to be that age. And I'm super glad that, you know, we we did move to Norman and I love Norman to say it's my other hometown. It's it's really my primary hometown to be honest. Um Man, and then so fast forward to essentially what amounts to like a Joey Diaz story. Um, can't tell the story of my adolescence without telling this infamous occurrence. Not going to say anybody's names definitely in this one. Um, but it is my memory and I have the right to recall my own memories. It's my life. It happened. I own it. So, like I said, introduction to girls, and I'm just going to say it, the girls in Norman moved at a faster pace than the girls I had met in my small town experiences, just as limited as the encounters were, uh, I guess you could say more aggressive, more experienced, more, I'm not going to slut shame, that's what I'm going to do, I'm going to manage to tell this whole story without slut shaming, I should get a fucking award for that more experienced, more sexually aggressive. And so I I say all that to say, when I was in eighth grade, I got arrested for getting my dick sucked at the movie theaters. That definitely happened. Um, I, I, I had a homie keeping lookout. I was in the bathroom stall. I had... Uh, this old man walked in with his grandkids to, like, go to the bathroom, and then he saw what was going on. He he got the cop, like, the little movie theater cop, and I got arrested for indecent public exposure. I forget, outraging public indecency or some shit. But So the, the key thing is here, I was 13, she was 14. So we were both underage. Don't get any part of that story twisted at all. Both underage, both consenting. It was actually her idea. Um, Literally my first time ever, by the way. Got arrested on your first blowjob. Check. Play. Fucking never have I ever championed for the rest of my life. Nobody else can check that box. Everybody else is drinking when I say that. Never have I ever. I guess... I have done that, so I would be the one to drink, so fuck what I just said. But what I'm saying is, short list of people 
I'm sure they're also great influential men of culture um, that got arrested on their on their first um, first blowjob. So, no, that's probably a little personal for some of y'all. Hey, this is my life story. Also, my first really encounter uh, with with law enforcement didn't really get off to a great start there. Um, it was a fucking misdemeanor. I did like 10 hours of community service because my mom was not about to pay that fine. My mom definitely kicked my ass and deservingly so. So like, I, like that's not a sob story. Like, no, like your kid, your 13 year old kid gets arrested for getting his dick sucked. He probably deserves a few, you know what I'm saying? Wops upside the head. That's, I think that's totally imbalanced. I think, you know what I mean? Like I was, man, I, that's one thing, man. I grew up fast. And I was a little hellraiser when I was young. That's a fact. That's a fact. Um, then, you know, you transition to high school. And then, man, of course, man, I get back to school. Every guy thinks I'm hella cool. Every girl thinks I'm a disgusting scumbag pig. That lasted probably the rest of the school year. I got, like, street cred. But also, like, every girl thought I was, like, a scumbag and just wanted to fuck. Which, don't get it twisted. Every 13-year-old boy is a scumbag that wants to fuck. At least, I don't know, maybe I just hung out with a bunch of scumbags. I, I, I learned that later as I get older. I'm like, uh, I think every kid is, like, as bad and, like, just mature as I was. And, like, these kids really still be innocent. So, like, the good kids do exist, but... It's like a stark difference if you were like a good kid or a bad kid. But, I mean, I was a good kid. That's the thing. I wasn't ever hurting nobody. I was just doing things that, like, society kind of frowns upon. Uh, but, hey, living life, man. You live and you learn, yeah. Rumble, young man, rumble, as they say. Um, so, man, I really want to fast forward to, like, 10th grade. Like, 9th grade. Not a lot happened. I mean, I was kicking it with the same people. That was the year that I didn't smoke weed. Me and my friends, like, had this thing where we would, like, jump each other if we saw each other smoking weed. It worked for, like, a year, and then we all were like, what are we doing? And we were doing it for football. We thought it was, like, make us better football players. And then all the, like, the best football players we knew smoked hella weed, and we're like, wait, what are we doing? Let's roll up. So, yeah, freshman year is the last year I didn't smoke weed. Um, but really besides that, sophomore year was like when everything happened, man. Like sophomore year, that's when I got these dreads. So I wouldn't have dreadful talk if it wasn't for sophomore year. That's officially 10 years, 10 years ago. Um, so shout out. Yeah, I got my dreads and I remember I got them over spring break sophomore year. I got my dreads and pierced my ears. I came back a brand new person. I fucking pulled up man uh yeah so everybody i had a few people say oh you do regret that it's permanent still got these motherfuckers man still got them great decision no regrets as they say um let me see also man like i said whenever you hear me talk about anything i accomplished in football don't think that i'm being like uncle rico and this is why my sophomore and junior year i played jv that was another part of my struggle. I was really, really good at football. Ask anybody. I'm not, but I had goddamn monsters ahead of me. Shout out 
Greg Offenberger and David Nelson. They were like literally like NFL sized linebackers just starting over me, which I couldn't even mad. Like I would start them over me too. But so I had to play two years of JV. Most guys really just play, you know, tenth grade or not at all if they're real good. So not a lot of guys that play JV sophomore and junior year go on to like have a college career and shit. So like I worked and clawed my way for everything I accomplished athletically. And not a damn thing was given to me. So, like I said, don't think that, like, if I'm telling old football stories, like, oh, it's glory days, Uncle Rico motherfucker. Like, no, nah, it ain't that. It's just, like, you know, that's that struggle, like, going against the odds and shit, that's what made me who I am today. Like, and I've seen a lot of motherfuckers, man, where they had things handed to them. And it, and they didn't learn shit during that whole. They had they had the fucking skids greased. You know what I'm saying? And they didn't learn shit as a result. And they didn't like. I mean, so I feel like I grew a lot more and learned a lot more because I didn't have shit handed to me and I had to you know overcome obstacles like you know athletically and in life. You know, so I learned a lot from all that. Um. So, yeah, and then also in 10th grade, that's another thing that happened. So, remember earlier I said that I was born at San Jose um, O'Connor Hospital to Matt Garrett and Vinny Rossetti. Um, and this is a thing that a lot of people know about me. Some people don't. I used to kind of dance around it, but now I'm, like, completely owning it, and I'm not embarrassed, and, it, like, it's it's whatever. So, in 10th grade... Is whenever I found out that Matt Garrett was not my biological father. Um, I had to do a DNA test through some, I don't know the exact details. I've kind of heard two different stories, but like I've essentially regarding something to do with state of Oklahoma child support, they needed to do a, um, a, a paternity test, DNA test, and it came back that he wasn't my dad. And, uh, and and the guy that is my dad is a guy named you know Demetrius Dino Evans, um, who he, he himself is a mixed man, a biracial man, part black, um, and so it turns out that I actually was part black. Which I say that because for years, like society, my friends. Like, quite literally, everybody would, like, always try to, like, insinuate that I was black or that my dad was not my real dad. And, um, actually, Dino came out to visit one year, um, and it was before I knew or anybody knew, I guess, whatever. And, um, and, and before everybody's like, oh, wasn't that obvious? Like, no, my mom had a lot of friends from California over the years. Every couple of years, a friend from California, sometimes male, sometimes female, would come holler at us, crash on the couch, whatever. Like, old friends stop by occasionally. Like, it's not as obvious as you may think it sounds in retrospect. And, uh, but I will say, shout out once again, Rico. You'll hear me talk about Rico all the time. My, my, one of my best friends still to this day. Love that guy. Um, but Rico and Tez, uh, you him too, you hear me always talk about Tez, great guy too. Um, and Rico and Tez were like, nigga, that's your daddy. 
He even walked like you. Like, they was, like, clowning. It was, like, a lot of comedy, though. Like, that's the thing about comedy. There's some truth in comedy. Like, and some might say it's the last venue for truth. And maybe, like, and but they were, like, clowning. But they were, like, nigga, that's your daddy. And it, we do look a lot alike. Like, I'll say that. Like, we do look a lot alike. And they, and they were right. And I, at the time, I got so mad. I'm like, man, shut up. Like, fuck that. Shut up. Fucking young, dumb kids. But uh, they were fucking right. I'll never forget that. They fucking knew. They called that shit. They knew exactly. They knew exactly. Like, my, my real life. I went through, like, a real-life Mari episode, essentially. Like, that's the daddy. Like, they, they knew who the daddy was. Like, man, shout-out to them, man. They fucking, their instincts knew. Um, but, yeah, no. So that did happen. So, 15 is whenever, like I said, that was kind of like a pivotal shift in my life. Um, let me see. Now, fast forward to senior year. Senior year, I finally got to, um, I had my varsity starting spot, middle linebacker. Um, it was dope. I actually got like a front, well, not the front page, but like front of the sports page, um, like article written about me that year. Like, where did this guy come from? Because he was like a JV player. And now he's like, I was like leading the district in tackles or conference or some shit. I was doing, I was balling out my senior year. And uh, so I got, I got in the newspaper once. They're like a whole write up. Um, that was cool. They didn't tell me about that shit though. So in my picture, I look hella lame. Like I was wearing my well, busted ass practice cleats, my ugly, bulky knee brace. Like, I did not look swaggy at all. Still one of my regrets. Like, if they would have just given me, like, one day's heads up, I would have been cleaning a bitch. But what can you do? It was still, it was cool. Not a lot of people got experience that. Made, made the front page another time, a picture of me sacking Morse quarterback. Um, I like to, like, slam people, so it was, like, a cool slam shot. Um... Man, cool thing. Every fucking Norman High football senior got experience. Um, we actually, we play our first game of the year every year against our crosstown rival. Of course, a lot of teams do that. What makes that special? Well, what makes that special is that it's, um, we played in OU's big-ass stadium, and that's like a stadium that, like, to me, that's like hallowed ground. Like, to say that I got to play a game on that stadium, even if it was in high school, it was an epic moment for me. Loved that. Um, you know, Owen Field, um, got to play on that. So that was dope. And we got the dub. We got the win too. I, I balled out. Um, uh, also shout out senior year. We happened to have a young, no, well, he moved here actually junior year, a young blonde headed kid from Iowa, lanky kid by the name of George Kittle. Yes, you're right. Um, all pro 49er tight end, George Kittle, a teammate of mine, buddy of mine. Shout out, George. Love you, man. Um, definitely big fans of his then and now, man. Always been a great guy. Um, don't got a negative story to tell. Don't have no dirt, nothing, man. That fool is a solid, man. Great athlete. He played wide receiver and safety back then. A lot of people can't imagine now. He's all bulky, but... Uh, he definitely got his beefy boy on, but uh, yeah, back then he was a lot lankier and uh, he played wide receiver, great wide receiver too. Um, and then it was like a like a dope like rover safety position. He got hella picks because no like noodle armed 
Oklahoma high school quarterback could like throw it over and he would just go like snag it out of the air. So that was dope. Definitely some highlights of senior year, pretty much all sports related. Um, I didn't really have like a high school sweetheart, to be honest. Like, you know, I did my thing, had a couple shorties, um, you know, I had a couple crushes, a couple flings, a couple of this, a couple of that. But yeah, I didn't have like a traditional, um, they had traditional high school sweetheart type situation. I did actually go to um, high school. I think it's cool to mention with my current girlfriend, uh, Nina, though. Um, we actually went to the same high school. I'll, I'll get to that kind of crazy sequence of events here shortly. Um, crazy turn in my life there for sure. Um, also got my first tattoo senior year uh, when I was 17. That's my mom's signature. Uh, and how I talked her into it, because my mom didn't want me to get a tattoo until I was 18. And uh, I was like, all right, but mom, check it out. Because, like, football and tattoos go together like this. Like, all your favorite football players, all my favorite football players all had tattoos. Like, favorite basketball players, favorite rappers. Like, I don't know. Our generation loves tattoos. Uh, and I was like, and I, want, I thought it would look so cool. I wanted to play a high school football game with, like, a tattoo showing out of my uniform. I thought that looked so cool. I was so jealous of the guys that had that in high school. Uh, I thought it looked so badass. And I was like, all right, Mom, but check this out because I'm born in June. So I was going to graduate high school when I was 17. And I was like, but I was like, so a lot of guys are able to get tats for, like, their senior year. But since just because of how my birthday is, I, I can't get one. For senior year, you know, like that's messed up. So I got, I kind of like lawyered her, mouthpieced her into it. And like, and then I was like, oh, and I'm going to get your signature. So you know how it goes with the old first tat with your folks. Anybody with ink knows how that goes, having that conversation. Um, but after senior year, fucking cry, cry, we, we, we went to the playoffs. Um, we lost in the first round of Owasso. Like, I think it was an overtime, like the last minute. It was heartbreaking loss. And then I, I, after that, I didn't have any fucking uh, scholarship offers at all for football. And so I was like pretty like heartbroken. I was like, uh, you know, like that's, that was my life passion. Um, was football. I mean, I put my heart, soul, everything. I loved it so much. It was like all I cared about in life was football at that time. And I was heartbroken that like my playing career was over. Like I would have probably literally sold my soul, um, to keep it going. Like dead as like, I loved football that much. Um, and like it just, it was part of my identity. It was just, I, I mean, I loved everything about it. Um, and I was good at it. And I was heartbroken. And then, yeah, it was like a, like a week, I think. But I, I had tried to, I, you know, I had my little huddle film. I had sent it out. I actually sent it. I'll never forget. I sent it to San Jose State just thinking. I was like, surely there can't be that many guys better than me at San Jose State. They day one. Fuck it. And like I said, it's my other hometown. I always knew that. I always wanted to come back here. I guess maybe that was like the start of me manifesting that. Um, but, yeah, I didn't hear back <laughs> at all. I was 185 pounds in high school, too. Let's not forget that. But then um, I'll never forget. I, I don't even remember. I sent Somebody had told me that I, um, to send my film to OBU. I think it was the guy who ended up being my roommate, Nick Gaines, I'm pretty sure, because he went there, too. He was like, I know this coach's email, 
and he gave me Coach Milo. Shout out Coach Milo. Love that guy. Um, Co- give me Coach Milo's email, and I sent him my film. And, like, I think it was, like, by the hair, the chin, 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 I got a scholarship offer from them. And I got one, like, for, for my visit. And I got to go there with another, like, what's up, with a teammate of mine, Nick Gaines. Shout out, Nick. What's up, bro? Uh, and we ended up being roommates that freshman year at OBU. So that was cool. Um, honestly, though, in retrospect, hindsight is twenty twenty. I regret going to OBU. Horrible decision. Impacted my life negatively on many fronts. But, like I said, I said I would sell my soul, and I essentially did. Like, I went to a place I didn't believe in, in a place I didn't want to be, at a school I didn't want to go to, went in a little bit of debt. Because I got a scholarship, but OBU is like a private school, so it was like 30000 a year. It covered a good chunk of it, but not all of it. And so I did have to take out some loans. Like, I did all of this just so I could play college football. And essentially pursue my childhood dream, which, like I said, that's the type of guy I am. I go after what I want, you know. Um, I want to chase my dream. So I did it, and I, it's like on one front, I regret, like, I regret it. On one front, I don't, because, like, dead ass, that was all I wanted to do in life was play college football. I did it. Um, I I'm, I love that I did that. I've met some lifelong friends. Shout out Daryl Fields. That's my dog. Uh, made some memories. But, man, I did I have some miserable fucking times there, and is that a fucking bullshit-ass place to be? More so Shawnee than OBU, but, like, I don't know, just, like, I'm not, a, a right-wing Baptist school is just not a good pl- place for me to be, and that's where I was for three years, um, I was good, too, man, I, I had a good college career, um, I never officially was a starter, but um, Coach Milo had, like, this dope rotation system because, I mean, everybody ran spread offenses pretty much. And uh, OBU, by the way, stands for Oklahoma Baptist University. Um, And a lot of people in that conference were running spread, so they would, like, rotate linebackers out every other drive. So it's like I'm not going to cap. I'm not going to front. Like, I didn't start – but I got like hella reps, like a bunch of snaps, like like hella, like half the snaps. We split snaps. So it was like how some people do running back by committee, we would literally do linebacker by committee. And so I got a lot of playing time. You know, it was a good time. I, I mean, it was fun. I got to accomplish my dreams, but like living in Shawnee. And then Shawnee brought me back to that small town environment that I thought I had finally escaped. Shawnee is like kind of like a blend of Purcell and Winniewood. Like it's like there's a bunch of meth, a bunch of poverty, just a shitty place to be. It's Shawnee, Oklahoma is a fucking shithole. I know those other places I said, oh, I'm not talking down. No, I'm talking down on Shawnee, Oklahoma, man. Fuck Shawnee, Oklahoma. That place ain't nothing for no nobody there, man. Like really, like, I, I fucking hated living there for three years. I really did. That's what inspired me. So after my, what was like my red shirt sophomore football wise, but junior school wise, I, after that year, I left OBU. I just could not do Shawnee anymore. Um, Hated it. I just hated it. Um, Hold on. I need to 
Get some of this cookies. Blue chip cookies, absolutely delicious. One of my favorite strains. If you watched episode six, I talked about how much I love cookies. You see, it is getting a little hot in this room. But when I left OBU, my plan was to move back to Norman and finish my degree at OU. And I did go to OU for a semester. Another goal of mine, when I was a little kid, I always wanted to go to OU. And man, when I got to OU, I hated that shit too, man. Like it gave me like mad plantation vibes. Like I still love OU football like, as a sports fan, but just like I wouldn't really want my kid going there as a student or like people of color like it, it gives you weird like plantation vibes i that's what i got i'll say that unashamedly nobody has to agree with me if they don't want to but that's how i felt when i was walking around that campus like real talk it was in the weird vibes i did learn a lot though um one of my my favorite college class i ever took was called race and science weird class but right up my alley and um it kind of what what it really ended up being was my teacher was I think she was originally from India but she had like traveled all over the world and but it ended up being like essentially just a world history class but just from a non-eurocentric point of view and that class changed my fucking life I learned so much in that class I loved that class just even just realizing how whitewashed and brainwashed and propagandized our education and the shit that they teach us. It was almost like an unlearning. I think I unlearned more things than I learned in that class. And I feel like that's what a lot of Americans, especially in this time of like reawakening, um, need to do is unlearn some shit. And that's why when people say that they can't, it's bullshit because I've done it. I've unlearned a bunch of shit, a bunch of shit I've unlearned. So you can too, man. But it does take like confronting yourself and being vulnerable in a way that not a lot of people are comfortable with. Like kind of checking your ego at the door and like realizing that maybe some of your worldviews are fucked up. I've done it, man. So it can be done. I don't want to hear that like, oh, people can't teach old dog new tricks and all that shit. Fuck that, man. So just, you know, just sometimes we got to check ourselves, man. I've done it. Like I, I'm... I'm not preaching from a high horse or asking nobody to do stuff that I haven't done myself. Um, running out of time here on this one. It's cool. I'll I'll just do another one and then I'll blend it together on YouTube. Um, so yeah, everybody that's still with me and still wants to hear more, um, just stay tuned if you're on YouTube. And if you're on Instagram, join this new live I'm about to do. All right, for everybody on Instagram, this is Dreadful Talk, Episode 7, Part 2. For those that are still sticking around, if you're on YouTube, you're still sticking around, shout out to you, man. I appreciate you watching the whole thing. All right, just kind of telling my life journey, who I am, where I came from, how I come to hold the worldviews that I hold, and just what made me the man that I am today that sits here before you. The man that sits here before you, while I'm not a finished product you know I've come a long way and I just kind of want to share some of that journey 
you know, it is kind of still brief, but, you know, I don't want to go too deep, more of a general, you know, what where I've been, what I've done, you know, who am I type of thing. Um, so that being said, when I left it off on the last one, I had just left OVU. I just had, I could not do Shawnee, Oklahoma anymore. It was a terrible place for me. I was so done with the administration of the school. Um, and I had had three shoulder injuries. I had separated my, my AC joint three times to the point where I played middle linebacker. And so I couldn't hit hard anymore. If you're playing middle linebacker and you can't hit hard no more, the game's no longer fun. And if it was no longer fun and I could no longer give it my all and be successful at it, I just, why, why put yourself through all that? So I decided to leave OBU. I went to OU, didn't like it. Um, there was the plantation vibes. And then on top of that, I had a counselor fuck me on my schedule. Um, I told them I didn't want to be an English major. They had this program where it was like build your own degree so I could graduate faster. I was just trying to get that shit done. I forget exactly what it's called, but for lack of better terms, it's like build your own degree. Like whatever classes you want, you take enough hours, boom, you get this degree and whatever the fuck. And I was like, word, I'll take that if that means that I can do it faster. Um, had this whole fucking conversation about switching my major. I go the whole semester, to pay those motherfuckers. And then... At the end of the semester, I go to re-enroll for the next classes. And then they're like, oh, so I see you're an English major. And I'm like, no, I wasn't. I changed it. And they're like, oh, it was never changed. So these motherfuckers wasted a whole semester of my time. And then whenever I did, like, the math on what's changing it back, or if I did just finish English, it was a whole nother two whole years, four more semesters. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just cool it on this school shit for a minute and you know that was an unpopular decision you know um i had some people tell me to this day that i should have stuck it out um shit sometimes when i'm applying to jobs i kind of wonder if i should have but i personally believe maybe I, i i really don't think i'm meant to work a nine to five um but so what I'm saying is that was an unpopular decision to leave school, controversial, if you will. Uh, but you know what? I don't regret it because I love where I'm at. And if I would have stayed in school, it would have altered my life path in a way like butterfly effect type shit. So I don't have a single regret about quitting school. Uh, and like, oh, you went to school? I went to school for three and a half years. And yeah, and I'm like, oh, you're so close. They tell you that until you see how actual credits work and how they try to just play you. It's like a car dealership when you're like enrolling in classes. I swear to God. Um, so yeah, I just by the end of it, I was so fed up with just the higher education system and just being just. I felt like I was being played. Like I was just running, like get, jumping through hoops. So I said, fuck that. And I just, I worked jobs. I worked a few different jobs and shit. I'll be real, I was selling weed, man. And after a while, I'll be real, I was kind of like in this like hopeless situation. Like I didn't have a lot of hope for the future. Like, I don't know. Like, like it wasn't depressed. It was just like pessimistic, like worldview. Like I just, 
I didn't really see like a way out. I didn't see an option. I didn't see a plan. A lot of people I knew were just like, you know, getting girls pregnant and shit like that or, you know, just getting money here, getting money there, just, um, but during that time I was also, that's whenever I started really making music again for like, for taking it seriously and it was fun, man, um, me and my boy Rico, we would have shows, we would have people at those shows, um, it was a good time. We were, we made some good music. Unfortunately, a lot of it like got lost to just different people's computers, and I fall out with them. Or it's weird, some shits disappeared from SoundCloud. Some of the few survivors. So, man, we spent countless hours in the studio during those days, and I don't I really have much to show for it. But it was still a bunch of fun, and I love making music, and it laid the foundation. For honestly, the music that I'm still making to this day. And it was some just memories with my best friend that I'll never forget. So definitely no regrets there either, man. You know, you know that's a thing, man. You can't really have regrets. You really can't. Even on... And that doesn't, regrets does not equal failure. You can have failure, but you can't have regrets because everybody fails. All the most successful people have failed. So... If you just, like, regret every failure, no, like, that's what got you. That's what makes you you. That's where you got to where you are. Um, and so that's why you hear me say no regrets, man. Even on, quote-unquote, L's that I've taken, still no regrets. Fuck it. Like, I'm here. I'm healthy. I'm breathing. I'm doing just motherfucking fine on all fronts. So who am I to regret or say shit didn't work out the way it was supposed to? Because I'm like, you know, I'm, you know, just move forward, make a better future for yourself. Um, and so, yeah, I was just at this hopeless stage where like it may sound ridiculous now. It really may to you. And it may sound to people that, ridiculous to people that knew me when I was a kid. But I was at a point where I was really just ready just to like trap it out and thug it out. Dead ass. Like. That, during that era, I, I was shot at leaving the Migos concert. Actually, that was a wild night. I fucking, this car behind me, this, this guy was out the window, started shooting at me. And I fucking, I, the first thoughts in my head was like, surely he's not shooting at me. And then I sped off, obviously. And then they chased me and we're still shooting. I literally got like a high-speed chase after the Migos concert in Oklahoma City like at like 2015. That was like some action movie type shit. I actually had my burner on me, but I couldn't shoot backwards and drive, or else I probably would have. And then who knows what path that would have took my, my life down. I may be in the jail, you know what I'm saying? So, man, like, I'm thankful to be where I'm at, man. And I'm not, and, I'm, and I, I wouldn't take back a, a single second of none of them struggles. I want it. It made me the man I am today, you know what I mean? Um, so, that being said, like, Right, that happened like probably less than a month before I moved to Cali. That brings me to this obviously major fork in the road is how I ended up back in California. It's really not some cool glamorous story. It's actually a really shitty story, but I'm going to tell it to you. Um, so like I said, I was just living this hopeless, essentially hopeless existence, selling weed, scumbagging, getting drunk a lot. Just having me meaningless hookups, just being ratchet. 
being a little hood rat ratchet nigga, honestly, just being a, like, I don't know, I had some good times, you know, I was making music, it wasn't all bad, I don't want to just demonize that former version of myself, but I definitely wasn't probably living life the way I should, and probably not, probably being as productive as I should have been, and probably just not treating people the way I should have treated them, you know what I'm saying, probably was way too selfish, and just I know Gucci Mane got the song called Dirty Little Nigga. He a dirty little nigga. He a dirty little nigga. In a lot of ways, I was a dirty little nigga. But, I mean, I'm kind of joking, but kind of not, man. Um, so, that's where I'm at. And my lease is up on this apartment on the east side of Norman. Uh, my lease was up at the end of August. And I didn't have, like, shit for future plans. My current roommate had already told me that she wasn't trying to, like, get another spot. Um... I wasn't trying to move back in my mom's place. Um, and so here we are, like the beginning of August, and I gotta be out at the end of August. And I, I and so I don't, I don't know what the fuck I'm gonna do. And then what I thought was like a fucking call from the heavens ended up being a call from the devil. I, um, and I say that, you know, figuratively, I'm not religious, um, and no, it's not, no Illuminati shit, (laughs) I know conspiracy theorists out there, like, what did he just say, um, but I got a call from essentially what turned out to be the devil, man, I, it was actually, I didn't even have the number in my phone, but it was a California number. And I knew I wasn't getting no California, like, prank card, nothing like that. Especially back then, I was fully living in Oklahoma. I knew anybody calling me from Cali knew me. It had to be somehow family something. Um, And I... So I answered the call. And, you know, I'm not even going to say his name. I'm going to call him fucking Dickhead. It's Dickhead. But at the time... It was big homie. He was like a cousin. It was like my mom's friend from like back in the 90s. Like her like old hippie friend. Um, like it was her son. And like they were family. Like we, when we would visit California, we would stay at their houses. Like I considered them like cousins. And so he offered me a job in Fresno working on like vending machines. Uh, he like, owned a bunch of vending machines, and I would be like driving the route to refill them, and it was paying bank. And like Fresno has a low cost of living; it's not like the Bay Area. Like Fresno's damn near the same price as Oklahoma as far as rent and apartments and shit like that. It's way cheaper. So I I, I was gonna be making bank, and I was gonna be have, living cheap. And so I was like, what? And like I didn't have an alternative. Um, but the, the catch was, I had 12 days notice. He was like, the job, you start in 12 days if you say yes. And mind you, it's like a three-day drive. So that means I had nine days, like, from the moment I said yes to, like, pack my shit, say goodbye, all that. Um, so that happened just like that. Like, I mean, I said yes. A, I had always wanted to live in Cali. Not, I didn't always want to live in Fresno working on vending machines, but I just viewed it as my foot in the door. And it turns out it's exactly what the fuck it ended up being. It got me out here. 
So, like, people, don't be afraid to hop on an opportunity, even if it's kind of a whack opportunity. Think bigger. Play chess. Think two, three moves ahead. It ain't all about that initial move. It could set up a future move. A fucking vending machine job in Fresno set up me moving to living in what I consider paradise. I love the Bay Area. Meeting the love of my life who was in the Bay Area at the time. And just life completely changing for me and me finding the happiness. And so all from taking a risk on this bullshit vending machine job in Fresno. So just don't be afraid to take a risk, man. Like, that's what I'm going to say. Like, like, that's what I did, and it worked out smooth for me. And now it wasn't easy, and I didn't always have faith that it was going to always be smooth, but there was times it looked like it wasn't going to be smooth. But in the end, it worked out smooth because I took a gamble and I bet on myself. Um, but that I was in Fresno for like a month, and the guy just treated me like a fucking slave. I was working like 14-hour days, putting thousands. I put 10,000 miles on my truck in a month, and he would talk to me like shit, so rude. Like he got me out there, like, yeah, you're my little bro. It's all cool. And then literally, and I was living with him too. So he was my boss, my only person I knew in Fresno, and I was living with him. He had me definition to have me by the balls. It was like some weird, like damn near criminal mind shit. As soon as I got there, he'd flip the script and he would like cuss at me and just talk at me so nasty and mean and just was fucked up, treated me like shit, treated me like dirt. And... I, um, and it was just fucked up. And then after a month, he actually fired me. And I, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, cause I couldn't quit. He had me by the balls. Um, so he fired me cause I wasn't working hard and I was busting my ass like a slave for 15 hours a day. Um, and I wasn't getting paid overtime or anything. It wasn't, it was salaried. So, like, sorry, y'all, hold on. Holly is throwing a fit. I'll be right back. That's my little dog. I'm so sorry, y'all. Seems like a nice time to take another one of these. But it was no bueno in Fresno. I will say this, though. Fresno has the best Mexican food. That's going to piss off people in the Bay Area. Fuck that. Fresno has the best Mexican food. Oh, my God. It was so good. Like, the Bay Area is really good, too. It's like, you know, splitting hairs. Like, like Jordan was a little bit better than Kobe. I, but, man... Fresno's Mexican food. Shout out to y'all. Um, but it was my introduction to Cali. And as much as it sucked, there's actually a few good memories that pop out. Um, so I called my aunt. I literally had my shit, my truck packed up. I was um, literally about to drive back to Oklahoma. Um, 
hadn't told anybody. I was like broken. I was crying and that shit. I was fucked up. I thought I had just like, you know, went all in and lost. Like I thought I was like, man, hanging by a thread. I thought I had like gambled and failed and, you know, had to go home with my tail between my legs. So I called my aunt who lives in uh, Fremont, which is a town in like the East Bay. Um, and I was like, yo, I just wanted to like, let y'all know that I'm moving, like, I'm going back to Oklahoma, I didn't want y'all to think out, like, like, I don't know, just, I'm not, I'm leaving, let her know a little bit what happened, and she was like, what, because it was already nighttime, she's like, well, here, it's only, like, a three-hour drive here, as opposed to trying to start a 24-hour drive in the middle of the night, and so I, I, I drove to Fremont, and then the next day, she, like, taught me into staying for a couple weeks, like, she's like, well, while you're out here, I mean, you're already here, and I was like, good point. And then I kind of just did like a couch tour. I was literally like two weeks at one aunt's house, two weeks at another aunt's house, two weeks at another aunt's house. I was doing like the tour. And then I kind of settled in at one of my aunt's houses on the um, on the south side of San Jose. Um, I said, my roots are here. I have family here. Like I grow, all growing up in Oklahoma, I didn't have no family, uh, really, to be honest. Um, all my roots and families are here in San Jose. So like I have my mom's sisters help me out to get on my feet a little bit. Um, and then I got my first job out here with Big Five Sporting Goods. Uh, it's kind of like an academy for those in Oklahoma, just like a little sporting goods store. Uh, but I liked it because they sold guns, and I thought that was cool. I actually got to go, like, it was funny. There was, like, this, when I was, like, because I was, like, manager in training because they would pay me more, so I was, like, fuck it, whatever. Um, didn't really ever have a, you know, intentions of being a manager, but it gave me like a $3 raise. So I was like, fuck it. I'll be manager in training. Um, but they sent me to like the shooting range cause we sold guns at big five. And I was like the only person there like knew how to shoot and operate a firearm. And like the guys were like confused cause they get all these Bay area kids out there. Don't know anything. Never shot a gun. And I like it was it was really like funny. It seemed like something out of like a King of the Hill episode. He was like, "Son, you're not from around here, are you?" Because it was out in Livermore, which is weird because it's like just east of the Bay Area, but they think they're like hella country. And I guess in some ways they are, but whatever. So he's like, "Son, you're not from around here, are you?" And I was like, "No, I'm from Oklahoma. I've been shooting guns my whole life." And he was just like, "Oh, that makes perfect sense." And like, cause like I wasn't missing anything. I was like shooting. Like, I'm a good shot. Um, I'm a good shot with a long gun. I'll be real. I'm not that good of a shot with my handgun yet. It's been a while since I practiced. I just need to practice more, but uh, definitely better with a shotgun or a rifle or like an AR. Um, then I moved in. I met, not met, but I moved in with just one of the biggest blessings in my life, uh, Nick Chargan. I call him my uncle. Um, love that guy. And, I mean, I was paying him rent, but he still did me a solid by, like, letting me move in with him. He has a nice house, nice, good place to live, man. Super just nurturing, healthy environment, good for your head, positive people to be around. And, actually, my biological father lives with him, too. Um, so I got closer with him in that time. That was really cool, really unique opportunity I got to know him more. Um and I also got a job at a tech company. Um, it's a little small 
It's like they called themselves a startup, but they had been around for 10 years. So it was just a small company. Uh, but it was a tech company. I was like, I can't live and work in Silicon Valley and not at least try to see what the tech world's talking about. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I was like, that's what all these jobs are, you know, that you can make a little money. And I was going to make quite a bit more money um, at that job um so i at the tech company i don't really want to say their name honestly i don't want to get caught up in any type of legal situation uh so yeah it's and, and and it was cool i made more money and i i i mean it wasn't horrible there was a few good times but i i worked there for two years I, uh but you know i just learned that that's not what I want to do with my life, that's for sure. Um, and I had gotten a few raises. And so after a couple of years, it was like there really kind of wasn't any more room in the way that the company was structured for me to really get any more raises. Like the, the next step would be like managers and they didn't really need any more managers. There was no open managerial like positions. And like... And so I was just like, and I was just getting to the point. I was just like miserable. I needed to change. Two years is the longest I'd ever worked a job. And I, I, I only stayed there two years to like prove to myself that I could. Like, I don't know. I just like wanted to not be a quitter, like be a grown up, all that shit, hold down a job. So, I, and I did. I proved that to myself just like on some mental strength. Sometimes you got to test yourself like that, challenge yourself like that. And I didn't fold. I think it was like like literally like I think I quit two years to the day or like right after. I was like, oh, I've been at this bitch two years. Bet I can't do a third. Like, cause you know, whenever you've been in a place two years, like you know, do you want to do three? Do you want to do five? If not, you should probably move around. That's some more advice to y'all. Dreadful talk advice. You've been at a job two years, and there's no more opportunities for raises. And you don't like that shit, or you definitely don't want to do that shit for the rest of your life, man. Start applying. I'm not saying quit on the spot like uh, like in Dave Chappelle's movie, you know what I mean? Fuck you, fuck you, you're cool. No, don't do that. But definitely, especially now with Indeed, it's so easy, y'all. Just fire off a couple apps. Boom, man. you probably get paid more anyways. Try something new, man. Maybe move to a new city. Get out your fucking hometown. It's so good to get out of your hometown. Seriously, unless you're going to move to Shawnee, Oklahoma. If you're going to move to Shawnee, Oklahoma, stay in your hometown. Um, but it's also this time I was working at this tech company and living with my Uncle Nick where I met the love of my life, Nina. And, man, talking about just like a super positive influence on every aspect of my life. Like, seriously, you'll see there's a, that's us together up here in some of these pictures. That's my baby. Love you, babe. Shout out Nina. She sings. She, she's got a beautiful voice. Um, she's, a, she's a hustler, too. She's a go-getter, man. She gets that bag. Love her. She's great. Huge impact on my life. We've been together going on two years now. Um, been great. Um, went to high school together. So, yeah, so I want to revisit that. So we both started off in Norman, Oklahoma in high school. Both stayed in Oklahoma for some years after high school. And then she had family in, um, like, Northern California, like, kind of up there past Sacramento, like, in the hills. 
in this. You also have family in, in San Francisco. So she had a very similar situation to me, and she, like, went to at first up in the mountains, and then she ended up in San Francisco. And, um, and then I, I started off in Fresno and then ended up in the Bay as well myself in the South Bay, which San Jose, where I'm at, is like an hour from um, San Francisco, an hour south um, if you're driving. Um, a little more than that if you're taking public transportation like the BART. Um, I always take the bar, though. Fuck driving my truck to San Francisco. San Francisco is like Grand Theft Auto. Like, no rules apply. No laws apply. It's Grand Theft Auto where you're not allowed to have a gun. So I'm just glad that I can fight. Um, yeah, San Francisco's nuts. Everybody that calls it pussy cake, pansy-ass liberalville. All right. That shit is grimy. You got to watch your P's and Q's in SF, for real. Um, but... She posted a picture in San Francisco, and I thought she was just, like, on vacation. I mean, San Francisco's a popular tourist spot. And I was like, oh, how long are you in the Bay for? She's like, oh, I lived here. I've been living here for, like, a year. <laughs> I said, like, oh, shit, I'm, essentially, I'm slipping. Like, let's link. And we ended up just, like, you know, just, San Francisco is a great town to court a woman. Let me tell you, fellas. I mean, unlimited bars, unlimited amazing food the most best views everywhere you look looks like a painting oh it was so i mean i essentially fell in love in san francisco man and i i mean what a great place for that to happen that was huge turning point in my life great beautiful wonderful memories still making them man we're still going strong i uh, definitely plan on getting married you know soon kind of corona put a hold on all that um yeah, and then, I mean, since then, man, I also I worked at a dispensary after I left the tech company. Uh, that was cool because I got tired. I left the tech company, and I was, and um, the thing is, I had, like the tech company paid me more but didn't have benefits. The dispensary paid me less but had great benefits. So I was like, I figured it's like a grown man decision to get some benefits. And I like weed. How bad could it be working at a dispensary? Well, let me tell you. It can suck working at a dispensary. At least the one I worked for. Hated it. Like, worked with some annoying people. Worked with some great people, too. Some cool people. Made some friends. But also, it was just some shitty. Just, I hated just seeing that aspect of the cannabis industry. I, it was just annoying. I it was essentially working retail again. I wasn't making that much money. They really lost me. At first, we had a badass discount, but then they, like, didn't include the taxes in our discount. So then, like, our discount essentially was decreased, and I was like, oh, I, you got me fucked up. But it was crazy. Right before I was a, right before the uh, pandemic hit, I was working at this dispensary, and I was about to quit. I was so close to quitting there. I was on my last nerve. I had, like, cussed out one of my managers. Pretty much try to square up with him. I was I hated his ass, and somehow didn't get fired for that, gang gang. But uh, then the corona hit, and so it like timed out perfectly. I essentially got paid to quit. They called it a voluntary layoff. I was I call it. I was about to quit, and you want to pay me, a, you know, a little bit more, a couple zeros, bet. Um, 
And so I got that voluntary layoff. I've been quarantining since that date was um, March 18th. I've been quarantining since March 18th. Um, honestly, in the weirdest way, no disrespect possible, but for my mental health and just my life trajectory and figuring out what the fuck is important to me and what I want to do in my life, this coronavirus quarantine has been so helpful and like in a weird way, this weird blessing to me. Now, obviously, you know, RIP to all those lost. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, like coronavirus is good. No, this ability to like not work a meaningless job and have some just let, let get rested and spend time with my loved ones and my dog and re-get in touch with things that I liked spending my time doing. Um, I started gardening. I grew vegetables. Eating something that you grew from a seed is dope, y'all. Grow you some food. Learn to grow your own food. Seriously. It's, it's dope. I highly recommend it. Learn to grow your own cannabis if you're in a legal state. Or be sneaky if you ain't. Uh, There's so many positives, y'all. This podcast was born. I know that, and I want to address this too. I know there's probably some hater out there like, oh, I'd start a podcast too if I didn't have to work. Yeah, that was what was in my way too. That was stopping me from pursuing what I wanted to do with my life. How I wanted to spend my limited time on this earth, y'all. We're not here a long time. And it fucking breaks my heart that people spend you know, these valuables, invaluable seconds, breaths, that we have these limited breaths we have on this earth, just doing shit that they hate doing, man, don't let that happen, try not to, and those that do it, man, oh, God bless you, I mean, I'm not even religious, but God bless you, like, seriously, like, I mean, I know our economy and our world needs people to do, like, shitty jobs, but, man, for my loved ones and those I care about, I don't, like, just, man, take a chance, man. Pursue a dream. I mean, it, you you might take some L's. I mean, nothing's a guarantee. Even them jobs ain't guarantees. They could, oh, you find out, you found that out during coronavirus, huh? You thought that job was the safe bet until they furloughed Joe ass or fired Joe ass or laid Joe ass off. Uh, you still feel like that was the safe choice? Or do you feel like if you were going to lose, would you rather lose betting on yourself? Because you can lose either way. There's no such thing as a sure thing. Everybody wants to say, oh, music is so risky. Podcasting is no guarantee. And it's not. But, man, neither is them nine to fives, man. Like, they can cut your ass at any instance. You are expendable. You are a number. You're not that, though. You're a human being, man, with with well-rounded, in-depth thoughts and passions that you want to pursue and friendships that you want to invest more time in and memories that you want to make you know that's what you know we should be spending our lives doing and you know i just i'm thankful i'm thankful call it fucked up whatever i'm thankful for this ability to kind of withdraw from this unhealthy toxic society and just get back to like my roots and like what's good and what's right and what's true and what I should be doing and how I should be living and what's important. And I just 
I, I thank each and everybody that wants to view and just take this journey with me. And and I, I just appreciate, you know, you guys, you know, every single view, every single share, every single follow, every single subscribe. Um, just thanks, everybody. Um, I'm pretty excited. This might be my last one with Bob in the background. Um, I got my official dreadful talk like tapestry coming i'm so stoked um oh man i mean that's gonna be legit y'all i'm excited about that um i think um uh, my next podcast i'm gonna have my first guest as well um keep a secret as who who that is um you you won't you won't be shocked but you will be happy to see who it is um, i'm gonna keep it a surprise for y'all but yeah, thanks everybody that tuned in. I think I'm going to wrap up episode 7, part 2 for Instagram. But episode 7 of Dreadful Talk. Thank you everybody. That's just a little bit about who I am, where I come from, my life journey. I'm sure I skimmed a lot, missed a lot. Um, you know, I love a lot of people. I didn't shout everybody out. Um, I skimmed some parts, you know. That, but I just wanted to, you know learn who I am, where I come from, provide some context to some of my ideologies on race and society and religion and just things of that nature. Um, I mean, like I said, I'm a big believer in nurture over nature, meaning what kind of products over our environment rather than to just saying certain people are born good or born dumb or born whatever. Um, I think that well, a lot of it is, you know, we're kind of clay that's molded by our surroundings. And so by telling you the, you know, surroundings that molded my clay, I wanted to, you know, hopefully, you know, give you some insight as to the person that I, you know, ended up being today and that you essentially are listening to and watching right now. So, yeah, uh, episode seven, Dreadful Talk, just pretty much my journey, my story. Y'all, thanks for watching.